Hey, uh, my name is John, and I'm uh, excited to be with you guys uh, tonight. Uh, tonight is going to feel a little bit uh, potentially like, um, I don't know in high school if, this, if this, they did this in your high school, but uh, every year they, they would uh, bring, the mothers of drunk driving would bring uh, a car that was all smashed up and put it out in front of the car, you know, and said, like, you know, someone lost their life in this car. Did they do that at your, you know, just basically just kind of scare the crud out of you uh, as a high school kid not to drink. So this might end up kind of feeling a little bit like that. Uh, the topic tonight is divorce, okay? And so uh, we do want to talk about, I think, the uh, effects uh, of it um, and uh, for a lot of reasons, and we'll kind of get into that. Uh, one of the things I want to just want to say before I forget is uh, I know that, that some of us in here are divorced and remarried, okay? So whatever's going on here tonight, we're not trying to make anybody uh, feel bad, second-guess that decision. If you're married now, right, we're convinced you should stay married to the person uh, that you came here uh, with tonight, period, okay? So we're not talking to you. Uh, we, are, we are talking to, uh, to uh, everyone else uh, in the room, okay? And so for, for some of us, um, you know, you might not have saw this coming, but uh, we're kids of divorce, and, uh, and we've, maybe we have, maybe we haven't thought about the impacts uh, that's had on our own marriage. We want to talk about that tonight, okay? Uh, some of us are, have friends uh, that are contemplating divorce, that are in a divorce, uh, that have talked about a divorce, and what, what are some things we could say to encourage them or just kind of give them a, a, a good reality check? And then some of us, um, I mean, candidly, uh, we're thinking about uh, divorce, and uh, it's, it's, it's running through the back of our mind, or maybe even the wheels are in motion, and, uh, and we think tonight will be super helpful uh, for you. Okay, so uh, these are four friends uh, of ours, four friends of the ministry. All of them are le- leaders, have led uh, multiple groups in Reengage, and uh, they've all got some kind of connection, mostly personal, uh, to divorce. They're kids of, uh, of divorce, most of them, and uh, we just asked them to kind of share uh, some of their story. Uh, tonight, and we'll keep it brief, we'll do some interactions, and then uh, after we're done, we'll head to small group. So, good enough? Okay, uh, Brett, you going to start first playing? Sure. Um, my name's Brett Brewster. Um, my earliest childhood memories are of my parents fighting. Uh, I remember as a small child lying in bed and listening to them argue um, so that even if my bedroom door was shut, uh, I could hear everything they were saying very clearly. And uh, even at that young age, I I really don't know how I had the concept of divorce, but maybe they mentioned it. I I was too young, really, to process what that meant, but I can remember worrying about it specifically, being conscious of of its likelihood. And so when I was about eight years old, uh, they did divorce. And all of the anger, uh, they were both pretty uh, volatile in their temper, and all of the anger that I'd been exposed to, and just the general stress of the whole situation made me very angry. And so that's something I've had to deal with, um, you know, in my adult life. But at the, for the next few years after they divorced, I regularly got in fights at school, Um, And that's not really now my personality, but it was just something that came from the turmoil. And when I was 11, my mother remarried, and my stepfather's job led us to move across the country almost immediately. And what little security I had or felt at the time came from my maternal grandparents, who had always lived nearby 
and then also from my friends, most of whom I'd known all the years I'd been in school. And the change of leaving them and all of that was devastating to me. Uh, my younger sister and I would uh, then, we lived across the country, so we'd, we would go twice a year in the summer and at Christmas to visit our father. And it was just a terrible situation. I dreaded going every time. Um, my, the court had decreed that when I turned 14, I could decide which parent I w was to live with. And um, so because of my father's personality, and there's no chance that I would have chosen him. But every time I went to his house, he would spend a large percentage of that time trying to convince me that when I turned 14, I should do so. And because I didn't want to deal with what would happen if I told him the truth, um, I just simply said, yeah, I'm going to think about that and kind of tried to appease him that way. Uh, and it just produced an incredible amount of anxiety in me. Um, during our visits, he would constantly talk my mother down. And then when he remarried, um, my stepmother even would join in on talking badly about my mother. My mom, meanwhile, uh, just didn't really think about the serious effects that her decision to remarry uh, would have on my sister and I. And um, so it was quite clear to both of us, I think, that she was wrapped up in the pursuit of her own happiness. And uh, it just blinded her to what was going on um, with us. And so I know that in retrospect, uh, she, you know, she saw a lot of the damage that it did and um, had a lot of remorse and, and would have done it differently if she could have. Um, ultimately, this led, all of this led me to be a very lonely child who felt insecure and depressed. Uh, my stepfather's career caused us to move a, a couple more times before I graduated high school. So uh, I just never felt rooted or like I had friends for long term. Um, and, you know, so that was an additional source of insecurity. And by the time I was 14, I started experimenting pretty heavily with alcohol um, in order to uh, deal with the depression and anxiety that I had. And that habit formed as such that it continued into adulthood. And ultimately, my dependence upon alcohol in adulthood um, almost cost me my marriage. Uh, fortunately, uh, when my wife uh, put divorce on the table, um, I turned to God, and he rescued me from that brokenness. And today, thank God, uh, my wife Jan and I uh, have both turned our lives over to God, and uh, he's healed our family in ways we couldn't have imagined. Um, so, you know, what I would say is the, the biggest lie out there is that the children are resilient or they'll be better off in a home uh, where there's not the turmoil between their mother and father. But I would just say that that is absolutely untrue. And as I think you'll hear uh, with the rest of us, it's pretty much a devastating thing for kids. And so I would encourage you to trust God, um, follow him, and let him heal your marriage. That's good. Man, there's your, there's your uh, car wreck story. Um, out in front of your high school, there's the, the, the wrecked uh, 
vehicle we were talking about, and I, the, for whatever reason, Brett, the image I had, you know, of you as a, as a kid, uh, you know, parents are, that relationship's supposed to be like a real security blanket, right? And we, we love to put our kids in the middle and just, like, you know, hug them and, you know, tell them we love them, give them, you know, noogies, and, uh, you know, and, and they're like, ah, oh, let us out. And you can just tell, like, hey, man, we, we love this. We feel secure. Yep. And instead, you know, you were kind of like this Stretch Armstrong toy, and rather than getting this, you, got, you were the middle of a tug-of-war. And, uh, and I will bet you your folks hadn't thought that through. You know, they just wanted the pain to stop, and they said, we'll right. just get, uh, we'll get a divorce. And there was a lot of collateral damage. And so um, this, you're going to hear some of the same themes there. I won't tease out everything that Brett uh, said, but um, just know, man, kids are resi- what, Are they resilient? Well, they, they can still grow up and, and be adults. But boy, they're, they're just scars uh, there that don't just go away, <clears throat> you know, by the next Christmas or that can't be bought off by extravagant uh, summers. And, um, and as you heard, Brett, you'll hear this, this theme. There's, there's generally that trauma uh, produces something in that individual uh, that they bring into the marriage. And so for Brett, it's been things like anger. And uh, that was a coping strategy that worked um, coming out of that, you know, on the playground, um, kind of as a way to deal with that. That doesn't work real well uh, in marriage. And so if you're a, a child of divorce, uh, my hunch is you figured out a strategy to kind of make that go and cope and get through that, uh, that played well during that time, it got you through it. Uh, it's probably wreaking havoc in your marriage now. And it's worth just kind of thinking about asking your spouse, hey, do you think there's anything going on uh, there that came out, out of that? But um, thanks for sharing that, brother. And um, it, is, it is encouraging to see what God can do um, in spite of uh, hard situations. So I'm grateful for you. Listen. So 34 years ago, my dad set all of us down to tell us he was leaving. I was 12 years old, and my whole world changed that day. We had been a close family who did everything together, but all of that became a broken mess, and the life I knew was gone. My parents' divorce affected my six siblings and me in very significant ways, and the ripple effects of my dad's decision are still present today in our lives and in the lives of our children. Even though my dad stayed involved in our lives, I lost my protector and provider, and I soon learned how to navigate daily life without him. I became very self-reliant and independent, and I was determined to always take care of myself and never rely on anyone to provide for me. Uh, Because of the financial insecurity that the divorce created, I started working at age 13 and took on a caretaker role in my family. It was also at this time that I started turning to food for comfort, something I can still struggle with today. I felt a lot of anger toward my dad, and though I loved him deeply, I was an adult before I was able to forgive him for what he had done. The divorce has also impacted me as a wife. My independent mindset caused me to look out for myself first, and because I was the caretaker in my family of origin, I prioritized their needs over my husband Shane's needs. It was hard for me to connect emotionally with Shane in the early years of our marriage, and even now I have a really hard time being vulnerable. I can now recognize how detached I become during moments of conflict, and I have to make myself lean in and engage. In my darkest moments, I feel like I will never be able to love Shane the way I should because of how damaged I feel from the divorce. It's only by God's grace that we ourselves are not divorced, although we came close. Today, our marriage is strong and sure, thanks to God's redemptive work in our lives. 
The divorce has also affected our children. Shane and I are raising our kids to follow God's ways, and we teach them that marriage is a lifelong commitment. So it's a difficult conversation to have with them when they ask why Gramps and Grandma aren't married to each other anymore. It's a hard thing to explain to a four-year-old, especially because we don't want our kids to think that one day Daddy and Mommy will change their minds the way their Gramps did. These are conversations that I wish I didn't have to have. For those of you who are contemplating divorce and believe the lie that we've mentioned, that kids are resilient and they will be okay, I would like to close with this. Several years ago, my dad called us all together for a family meeting. My siblings and I were all curious as to what the meeting was about, and every single one of us jokingly said, maybe mom and dad will get back together. Uh, which was absolutely ridiculous because they were both married to other people at the time. But I think it shows that even as adults, the desire of our hearts was for our family to be whole again. My dad actually called the meeting to ask for our forgiveness and for my mom's forgiveness. But in spite of the regret he now feels, it's too late to undo what was done. Even though I have forgiven my dad and we have a good relationship today, the wreckage of his decision to divorce my mom is still a painful part of my life, and the sadness never completely goes away. Hmm. Man, so much there. I mean, that, um, I, you've shared that story so many times, Alyssa, about just, you know, as an adult driving over two parents married to someone else, uh, still hoping, you know, that they, that they would uh, uh, get back together, right? And um, so, you know, is the, the, your kids, you know, would they think, oh, I just want mom and dad to be happy and I really don't care about us well, as long as they're happy? No. <laughs> they want mom and dad to be married uh, even when they've got kids of uh, their own. That never goes away. And um, I, I'm just always so struck um, by that. It's not my story, but um, you know, I, could, I could see that and it makes sense. And so, you know, the other thing is that, you know, um, we already talked about Brett's kind of the carnage in the first wave. Well, then there is this, you know, second and third wave. Now we're talking about grandkids uh, that have to kind of come to an understanding of what happened. And again, right in front of us, a lot of times, they just want the pain to stop. We haven't done any long math on what's coming. And it's worth, it's worth thinking about. And then lastly, you heard um, Melissa's just kind of uh, independent uh, streak. I remember, you know, sitting with Shane and Alyssa when they were uh, in the middle of that, and that would be a word. It was kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, hey, dude, like, I'm good, and uh, I've learned how to be independent here, and I've got my family. Like, if you ever, uh, if you ever kind of mess up or leave me or whatever, like, I'm good. I've got this extended family. I've got my family that we have, we've kind of done battle, and um, we're really, really close, and so take you or leave you, I'm independent. And I have seen that over and over again. I don't know what the research is on that. I've never looked at it, but I've just seen, especially in women, uh, like this fierce independence uh, that does not play well in in marriage. There's something about being confident and, you know, not hyper uh, needy. Um, But the, the other extreme is, hey, I'm good with or without you. You can be part of my world or not. And, uh, and that, that was uh, kind of hardwired, uh, again, as a uh, coping mechanism for uh, Alyssa uh, that she had to kind of deal with uh, in her marriage. And it's worth thinking about, if that's your story, kind of what was your coping mechanism uh, through that. So, awesome. All right, Bob, anything? Uh, I'm Bobby. Uh, my wife, Shari, is the one that most people remember because uh, <laughs> she's, she's a beautiful redhead. With You're the forgettable lives. one. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the forgettable one. So uh, my parents were divorced when I was 18 months old, so I don't really have a memory of them fighting, and there was never that going on. But it's kind of one of those things where, you know, if you get hit really hard, 
you don't know how bad you're hurt until later. So what happened for me was, you know, my parents got divorced and I knew my dad loved me, but I almost never saw him. And so I didn't have anybody around to give me advice on things or any of those sort of things. And because he was gay, it made my, my parents, made my uh, mom's family very leery that the same thing was going to happen to me. So they made, you know, compensation. So I actually had a, uh, a relative right. introduce me to Playboy at eight years old to make sure that, that, that I was going to be straight. And this was like throwing gasoline on a fire. You know, you didn't, I, didn't, I didn't need that. I was already fine. But that developed a lifelong addiction to pornography that still I still have to fight with today. And so those are one of the things where had I had a, a, a dad around when I needed one to maybe give me some discipline, to maybe explain some things to me, maybe give me an idea of what, what this is supposed to look like to be a, a grown man, uh, what it's like to be a husband, what it's like to be a father, uh, all of those things, it made it very difficult for me to make those choices. So most of my adolescence was dominated by a selfishness that I would pursue whatever interested me. And so I was, I spent most of my time running away from God. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't pursue uh, any of the things that, that some people in my family were, were big into. My, my mom, she wasn't really either. She would kind of, the religion of the week, you know, we would kind of go and, and try all these different things. So that started me on a, on a, on a path that both of us were searching for something. And so I, I, I would try new things and try new isms and, you know, read, uh, read uh, comparative religion books for fun and philosophy and all those sort of things, trying to come up with an answer. You know, and had I had somebody who uh, was around that I respected, maybe I could have asked some questions about that and, and had that there. It's one of the things that, you know, being a dad now, uh, I have an 8-year-old and a 13-year-old, um, the biggest thing that I've, I've found and learned from people here is it's a lot, it's a lot like the, the, the raffle ticket. You've got to be present to win. So when those questions come up, you, you have to be there. And if you're not there, they're going to ask somebody else. Or they're going to come up with an answer or they're going to get it from media or they're going to get it from wherever that is. So that's what I did. You know, I learned all that stuff about what it was to be a man. And tell you, when, if, you if you pay attention to the world about what men are supposed to be, you wind up being a schizophrenic nut job. You know, you're supposed to be masculine, but no, you're not supposed to be too masculine. You're, not, you're supposed to be a leader, but you're not supposed to take advantage of people. You know? So there's this whole big thing of, of how, to, how to operate in the world that, that you lose. And so for me, you know, I, I did the same thing my dad did was I was selfish about my own uh, 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 sexual needs. So that's what I pursued. And it wasn't until in, you know, until in my 40s that I came back to the church and started looking at that. So what happened was I had tried all these self-help things, tried to do all these things and brought all these broken things into my marriage and, and all this selfishness. And even today, selfishness is the biggest problem in my marriage. I'm the biggest problem in our marriage that, that I think of myself first rather than them. And it always works out so much better to do it the other way. But see, I didn't even know what I didn't know. So I had to, I had to go and relearn a lot of these things that, that, you know, made my grandmother, who was, a, who was a believer, made her seem a whole lot smarter as I got older. You know, that I would look at the way that the world would tell you you could live based on what I experienced and, and the guidance I had gotten. And then I looked at the way that she said, and, and over time I began to figure out that you can't live that way. You've got to live this way. And what she was d- professing for me to do was so much closer to being a believer than not. It, it just started, started to make sense. So when we came, you know, when, when our marriage was in real serious trouble... Some friends invited us here, you know, I, I 
thought I'd come for a few, you know, extra social contacts. And what ended up happening was I started learning that, that I had discovered that um, my picture of God was pretty much the same way as my picture of my dad, that he was just absent and that I wasn't important. Everything, everything else had to be taken care of before me and that I was only uh, as good as I was useful. So I would learn to do things. I would be a people pleaser. I would try to find a role to play. I would try to find you know, my, my uh, value in what other people thought of me and what I could do for them. Which, which is a never-ending story. Hmm. But now it's, it's, it's characterized more by um, the things that I look at my boys. I look at my boys, and yeah, I get frustrated with them because you know somebody does something to somebody, and somebody fusses at each other, and one of them's being selfish. But I look at the difference between my wife is a child of divorce too, and I look at where we were when we were that same age, and it's like, man, we are so blessed that, that this has worked out the way that it has. Amen. So just this idea that, uh, I mean, you know, we're, we're a bit on a loop here, but um, parents are supposed to walk with their kids, right? Dads are supposed to walk with their sons and daughters and vice versa, moms. And, um, and that's, you know, one of the things I, I do with our, our kiddos is just, we, they, they know if I say go for a walk, they're like, here, here it comes, you know, here comes the, I got a total download of my life with dad, you know, we're going to keep walking until I spill it. So I'll just go ahead and tell him everything. And we go and walk and we talk about God and we talk about school and we talk about sexuality and our boys, we're talking about pornography and we're talking about masturbation and, and girls and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just kind of doing my best, you know, to kind of guide them through uh, all of that. Well, if your dad's not there, right, you walk alone. And you figure that stuff out. And you generally uh, will cause quite a bit of carnage in your life uh, along the way, as Bobby said. And um, so can you, can you influence kids from a distance or over weekends? Sure. But I think we can all agree it's just not the same. It's just not. And, um, and so oftentimes we think about divorce, about me, 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 me. And uh, again, uh, to kind of come back a little bit, I... I uh, I encourage you to think about uh, all the other folks that will be affected uh, by this, okay? Uh, we're going to take a pretty hard right turn here. Um, you're going to hear from now, of all people, a lawyer, okay? <laughs> and uh, this is Will Repito. He is not drumming up uh, business uh, tonight. Uh, in fact, <clears throat> he's a, he is a family uh, lawyer, which means he does, uh, he handles divorces. And so if you come to him, uh, I'll, you know, I'll save you uh, uh, this speech, he's going to tell you just to come back through, re-engage again, right? So uh, you're going to have to go find someone else if you want to file uh, after tonight. <clears throat> um, but uh, Will's got a unique perspective in that uh, he does what he does professionally, uh, and he also sits here uh, in these seats and walks with couples who are contemplating uh, divorce. And so we just thought it'd be great for, you know, uh, you've, you've heard this, this side of the story uh, for you to hear from someone else uh, who sits in a different seat uh, through all this. So Will, you have some thoughts, buddy? Yeah, John, thank you. Um, Guys, I've been doing this for 26 years, and every case is filled with a sadness that just takes a little bit of my soul that only Jesus can refill. And so it's tough. Um, I don't know how I got into this. I like to say that it found me, and God put it on my doorstep, and it's just what I've run with for the last 26 years. Um, I want you to imagine two paper plates that are super glued together and then flattened by a steamroller, and then I want you to try to take those two paper plates apart without doing damage to either one of them. And that's basically what happens in your divorce case. Um, And it's even more so if you have children in connection with that. Um, 
my wife and I have led a number of uh, closed groups up here. We've actually had a number of success stories. We've actually had two divorced couples in two of our most recent groups uh, that have actually remarried. And so God can work miracles. And so I'm going to encourage all of you to continue to working those miracles. People ask me all the time, they say, Will, what's the number one cause of divorce? It must be sex or money or failure to communicate or kids or the stresses of job or work or whatever. And it's not. It's what Bobby talked about a minute ago, selfishness. That's it. Worst four-letter word in the dictionary, S-E-L-F. That is the number one cause of divorce. It always has been and it always will be. It is the most selfish thing a person can do to their spouse and to their children. Just all there is to it. Um, There's several myths. Well, life will be better after I divorce this person. Well, let me tell you why that's not true. What I find and have found for doing this for 26 years is that people come to me and they say, well, I've got all these problems in my life. I can't really control any of those problems, whether it's my health or my job or my jerk boss or whatever it is. But, you know, I can control my marriage by divorcing my spouse, and that will make my life better. And so this is what happens. At best, you divorce your spouse and you create a neutral, Switzerland, that doesn't really care and they stand on the sidelines. Or at worst, you've now created an enemy that will be at your beck and call and doorstep 24-7, especially if there's children, when in fact you could have nurtured one of the greatest allies for all of the difficulties that life throws at you. So the myth number one is life will be better after a divorce. And I've talked to divorced person after divorced person after divorced person that comes back and sees me, and it's just not true. The second myth is, well, once I get through this divorce, I'll be done with him or I'll be done with her and I'll never have to see him again. And again, that's not true, especially if you have children. You will have a relationship with your ex-husband or your ex-wife for as long as either you're alive, the other spouse is alive, or your children are alive. Just inevitable. You're going to have a part in that person's life. In fact, you may actually end up seeing more of them uh, when you're divorced because of school activities and soccer games and events and everything else. There's a good possibility you're going to end up spending just as much time with your ex-spouse after divorce because of the children. And so let me tell you a brief story um, that is indicative. Uh, had a, I, I knew a woman several years ago that had gone through a divorce, and she was getting married, and her mother and dad were divorced. Her dad had never remarried. Her mother had remarried several times. And so the wedding is coming up, and the mother calls the bride-to-be and says, well, me and my husband are going to sit at the first row at the church, and your dad can sit behind us. And if you don't agree to that, then we're not coming. And the bride-to-be said, we'll miss you. And that's the kind of selfishness that plays into people getting divorced. And for those of you that are contemplating divorce, is that really what you want? Do you really want to have to worry about who's going to be sitting where at your child's wedding? The other crazy thing is, is that you're giving up the opportunity to see your children and influence them and pour into them every single day, whether it's for five minutes in the morning as you're taking them to school or after school or whatever. But you get a divorce, no matter what the custody arrangement is, you're going to end up seeing your child about half the time. Think about that. Is that really worth it just to be selfish? And so finally, I've asked the folks to put some scripture up here, and I I would commend this to you. Um, So the first one is Philippians 2, uh, verses 3 and 4. And I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Do nothing out of selfishness or vain conceit, 
Put the interest of other people ahead of yourselves. Again, don't be selfish. How many of y'all are doing that? I know I fail at that every day. And if you're here, you probably have some struggles in that area. But how are you doing about putting your own interests ahead of uh, your, your spouse? How are you at putting their interest ahead of your own? Uh, the next one is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. We read this all the time at weddings, and everybody looks all flowery and gushy. But how are you doing at being patient? How are you at taking the word love and replacing it with the word I? I am patient. I am kind. I do not envy. I do not boast. I am not arrogant, and I am not rude. I do not insist on my own way. Again, I don't insist upon being selfish. I don't, I'm not irritable or resentful. I don't rejoice in wrongdoing. I rejoice in the truth. I bear all things. I believe all things. I hope all things, and I endure all things. How many of y'all are doing that in your marriage? The next one is Philippians 4.8. How many of you look at your spouse and say, this child of God that you walked down the aisle with, that you chose, how are you doing at looking at him and saying, or her and saying, you are honorable, you are true, you are just, you are pure, you are right? How many of y'all are doing that? And again, I fail at that every day, but that's something that I have to bring before me. And then finally, uh, Matthew 19, I'm sorry, 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go make disciples of all peoples, including your spouse, including your wife, including your husband, including your children. How are you at carrying the gospel to your spouse, to your children? And I could go on with others. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all ways and he will make your path straight. How are we doing on living those things out? We could stay here for days without leaving this room and go over scripture after scripture after scripture that calls us to be sacrificial and loving in our marriages. And so those four verses are the ones that I have to pray through just about every day because I'm a broken, fallen person in my own marriage of 26 years. Uh, But that's what keeps me through. So guys, just don't believe the lies of what divorce is going to do. It will wreck your children, it will wreck you, it will wreck your finances, it will wreck your home, um, and things will just never be the same, and they will, you know, just, just don't believe the lie. It does not make things better. All right. Yeah. There are, there are lies we believe. Um, that is uh, one, of, one of our chapters uh, in Reengage. you know, is, uh, is truth, and, uh, and always, you know, you'll I'll just see couples that will come in this situation, they'll go, it'll just be easier. It's better for the kids. Like, uh, somehow financially it will work out. You know, I'm like, no, all of that is false. You know, it's what you want to believe, and so you're doubling down on that, but it's just not true. And, uh, and that's what Will deals with uh, every day, and uh, he wants you to be spared uh, of that, okay? So guys, thanks so much uh, for being up here. If you guys would, uh, please uh, thank these guys for being up here. <clears throat> Well, some of you guys are wondering, like, dude, really? Like, you know, I just finished uh, Thanksgiving. I've still got turkey in my belly. I'm picking out presents, and now you guys are going to run, you know, children of divorce up in front of me. Like, what gifts? Okay. Um, If you guys don't know, uh, generally the number one season uh, for divorce is right after Christmas. And so people tend to think either uh, that's the make or break time, either, you know, hey, you know, all my, my hopes and dreams will come true, or they're thinking I will just make it through Christmas and then for the sake of the kids, we'll divorce afterwards. And we just want to say, hey, if that's anybody's mind uh, right now, there's, there is a better way. 
And whatever's going on, like wherever, however bad you think it is, uh, we've seen it before, God's seen it before, and he can give you the grace um, to move through it, okay? It's what we see all day long, every day. And um, so hit pause. If uh, some of that stuff's going on in the back of your mind, uh, I would let your, your leader know or your open group leader know, and uh, we'd love to walk um, uh, with you through that, okay? And then whenever that stuff kind of tends to surface itself, and it will for every person, Okay, everybody at some point in their marriage is going to wake up in the middle of the night. Right? They're going to roll over and look at their spouse, and there's drool coming out of that, the side of their face. They're going to go like, really? You know, like 7 billion people on the planet, and I got stuck with you, right? And you'll think, oh, I'm the only one who's ever, I've only, that's the only one, I've only, I'm only the, the person who's had that thought. Every married person at some point has had that thought, okay? You're not unique. And so then you just go, eh, I don't feel in love. Uh, right now, uh, but I'm going to do loving things, and loving actions oftentimes will bring about uh, loving feelings. And you double down, but you don't, you don't contemplate this stuff uh, because that's not uh, the answer. Um, so a lot of these stories are pretty heart-wrenching. Uh, heart uh, I think, you know, for us, some of the most heart-wrenching uh, experiences we've seen kind of firsthand around this. Um, a couple years ago, we went to a divorce court and so just kind of took the team down there and just said, hey, go, go find a courtroom and just go, uh, go jump in and uh, we'll meet back out here in the hallway in an hour and a half. And, you know, so I kind of intellectually understood what was going on there. I was not prepared uh, for what I saw. And uh, first, uh, the, the most vivid memory was uh, a mom and a dad who were just there uh, fighting and negotiating, um, arguing, uh, they've got, you know, recordings of different phone call conversations. And uh, what's imp- what they're fighting about is a teenage boy um, who didn't have a mom and dad uh, in the same home. And um, um, so, uh, not to be super graphic, but uh, like whatever you think of might happen to a teenager with no supervision, that's what happened. And that's uh, probably way worse than you think. And... Um, and, and, I, and I just sat there shaking my head going, that did not have to be the case. That didn't have to be the case. And probably, I think we could be honest, the only reason it did was because mom and dad uh, couldn't work it out. And I remember just sitting there just mad and Susan was sitting right here to my left and just tears were coming down uh, her face. And uh, it just didn't have to be. It didn't have to be. And um, so uh, we just want, but because we love you, we're not playing any emotional games. Uh, we just wanted to put that before you uh, in an attempt to be helpful and uh, just correct, uh, correct thinking uh, there. Okay? It doesn't have to be. And so most people, if you ask them, uh, you know, if they get a divorce, they're contemplating a divorce, you say, hey, would you, like, do you want to get married again? And most of them will say, yeah, I, I want to get married again. And so, well, tell me about that. Like, you know, how would that come to be? And they're like, well, I'll, I'll meet somebody and then, you know, we'll date and I'll be kind and, you know, others focused and, um, you know, and, and then we'll build something together and then we'll get married. You know, I always just say, well, why don't you just do that with the person you're sitting next to? <laughs> just start doing that like right now, which is what Jesus told the church in Ephesus in Revelation, right? He just said, hey, just, just do the stuff you did at first. Just do the stuff. You've got off track. Just do the stuff you used to do. You know how to do this. It's not that complicated. Uh, if you want to repent and turn to God, you know how to do that. If you want to uh, repent and uh, start loving your spouse, you know how to do that because you've already done that. And 
you thought if you get divorced, I'll, I'll do that again. Well, just, just do that now. It's way cheaper, way cheaper uh, than that, okay? And you, then you could take like fun vacations or something uh, with all the money. Think about how much money you'll save uh, if you don't get divorced, okay? Uh, but we do that. We, we know this as Christians. We do that as, a, as if, no, if no other reason, right? And there's more reasons. Uh, because God's modeled a sacrificial, relentless, unconditional love to us. He made and kept his commitment to us. And then he calls us in Matthew 19 to keep our commitment to our spouse. And he says, what God has joined together, we're not to separate. When you make a covenant to your spouse, you don't separate it. Thank God that he doesn't separate from us. Uh, he doesn't, he's not moody. Uh, he's not waiting for us to make him happy. He's committed to us, and he keeps his covenant, and that's how we're supposed to love and covenant to our spouse, okay? So we're for you. Uh, if we can help you uh, in, in small groups and things like that uh, tonight, let us. Suze, do you want to close us down? Mm-hmm. Thank you. I mean, just, I don't know, I hope that you heard just a common thread through everything tonight, and just as John did the close on this, there, there's nothing that the Lord can't transform. I just remember I had sought an attorney. I remember sitting in this room headed for divorce and just encountered the love of Jesus through his people. And so we just pray that you will continue to give us a chance to love and serve and help you all along the way. If you're here tonight for the very first time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. So in just a moment, we're going to break and go a lot of different directions. We're going to ask our newcomers here for the first time, come down to my right, your left, and please take a seat in one of the first three rows. Give us a chance to get to know you. We'll take you through a newcomer orientation and help you uh, answer any questions that you may have about what it would look like to go through this thing called re-engage. If you've already been to newcomers and you're not quite ready or in a closed group yet, we're going to ask that you go to one of our two open groups tonight. They'll be held in room 211 and 212. To get there, you go out these doors, take a right, go across the skywalk. You'll see the signage re-engage. You can choose either one of those classrooms to attend. In room 207, we'll be hosting open group for those of you that speak Spanish. Tonight, we're so excited because we are celebrating four closed groups. That means that these couples have completed the entire 16-week curriculum. And we're about to, yeah, we're about to go. Yes, that's quite an accomplishment. So tonight, we're going to be celebrating with the Duns, the Camos, the Ridenauers, and the Stewarts. And so we're going to host a party for you. And when we exit this room, if you'll go across the skywalk, take the stairs up to the third floor, there'll be a party in your honor. And we can't wait to hear how God has transformed you in the work that he's done in your marriage. Hey, next week, things are going to look a little different around here. December 5th is our Christmas concert at Watermark. And so you're going to notice when you pull up, there's going to be a lot of people here, as in maybe 3,200 extra people here. And so, yeah, so if you want a really good parking spot, it would be wise of you and worth your time to maybe leave work early, grab a Chick-fil-A sandwich, and get here early so that you can have a place to park. Now, should you get here a little bit later and you realize, crackers, where am I going to park? We have special reserve parking 
waiting for you if you get here late. It's called the parking garage. And when you get to the parking lot, if you look to your right, you'll see a five-level parking tier. It's really quite nice. If it's raining, you'll be covered under there until you walk out to get across over to the loft, in which that reminds me, we're not going to be meeting in the loft next week. We're going to be meeting in stage two. So to get to stage two, you'll come up the stairs next week, but you're not going to come in the loft. You're going to take a left, go through the double glass doorways. You're going to see signage that says re-engage. You'll see also the signage stage two. That's where we're going to be hosting large group next Wednesday night. So remember this, get here early so you get great parking. If you get here later, you'll be doing a little bit of a hike, but please do come. We can't wait to have you. All right, guys, let's go make tonight a great night of pursuing oneness.